Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. This is episode 210. And this week we are talking with Nevada McPherson. She is the author of three graphic novels to date, several screenplays, and today's book that we're going to be hearing all about, which is Poser. You're also going to hear all about uh, her background in writing, uh, how she teaches English and creative writing down in Georgia. We're going to be discussing the importance of notepads and sticky notes, (laughs) her writing schedule, uh, what makes good writing, how sometimes characters just come to you, and falling in love and inspiration from the locations that we sometimes visit. All that and so much more is coming up here real soon. You're going to really enjoy this conversation with Nevada. She is a delight to talk to and uh, just so much fun. So stay tuned for that. It's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Meanwhile, uh, I don't know if you can tell it or not in my voice, but yeah, I've been I've been a little knocked down here recently. Uh, caught a cold. And uh, there, for, there for a couple of days, I didn't think it was going to be any big deal, just kind of a cough. But uh, uh, surprisingly, it, uh, it really knocked me down through the weekend. Uh, fortunately, I still had a nice weekend. I had a nice Easter. But uh, since uh, since Sunday, since Easter itself, uh, I've been a little out of it. Uh, so much to the point that I just realized this is release day <laughs> as I record this. So hopefully I can get this episode up today on April the 19th. Uh, but if not, it may actually be Wednesday the 20th when I get this up. But either way, as you're listening to this, it's uh, it's release day. So And hopefully you had a good Easter. Made sure to indulge in a nice big uh, hollow bunny, you know, the hollow chocolate bunny. And uh, got a little bit of writing in once in a while as I as, when I wasn't sleeping. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was a, it was a very pleasant Easter. Um, we had gone up to my in-laws for the weekend. Uh, for the few days before that, to do a lot of work outside, and again, you know, I felt felt pretty good for that. Aside from the cough, I felt pretty good doing that. It actually felt really good to uh, do the exertion, you know, the the work that we did outside. So that felt good. But man, it sure did knock me out on Sunday, on on Easter Sunday, and uh, been a little been a little down since then, uh, a little knocked down. But not to worry, uh, I am definitely on the on the way up again actually feeling not too bad today. It's mostly just in my voice and uh, in my sinuses now. But uh, anyway, rest assured, I will be feeling much better next time you guys hear me. <laughs> oh, before uh, before I forget, though, I do want to thank, also give a special thank you to George Soroy over at Excelsior Journeys Podcast. Uh, he had me on as a guest. I, I mentioned it last week, uh, but... Uh, the episode hadn't dropped yet as of that episode, to, uh, episode 209, uh, but it did come out later on, and it is a fantastic episode. George really puts on a good show, and he and I had a really good chat. Uh, if you want to hear a little bit of behind the scenes of what all went into the creation of this show back, gosh, five years ago now, uh, then uh, yeah, make sure to uh, check it out. I got a link in the show notes for that, and uh, check out some of George's other episodes. He's, he's got a really good show. It's one I think you're going to really enjoy. But with that in mind, I don't think I'm going to spend too much time this morning talking about other things. Uh, we'll go ahead and discuss the uh, show sponsor, Scrivener, which, of course, is what I do all of my writing on. 
And I mentioned last time how I've been able to go in and open up a few chapters uh, side by side in side by side windows so that I can see, uh, well, a chapter that I'm rewriting and another chapter that I'd written before, and I'm actually combining the two. And it's that and so many other amazing features within Scrivener is why I love it. Hey, stay tuned to this advertisement so you can hear how to save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. And thank you again to Scrivener. Uh, I also want to thank affiliate of the show, Writer's Block Coffee. Writer's Block Coffee has three delicious flavors. There are There is my personal favorite, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Blend, which... Oh my gosh, that is so good. Uh, there is the Deadline Dark, which is what you want to brew when you are burning the candle at both ends and staying up late like Nevada likes to do. <laughs> Although I don't know if she'll drink coffee that late at night. I don't know. Uh, but then there's also the regular Writer's Block blend, uh, which is just their standard uh, version of the coffee. And it's it's very, very flavorful and very good. I highly recommend you try out one of these or all of them. Uh, you can order one, you can order them all, you can also order one at a time, or set up automatic shipping each month so you never run out. Click the link in the show notes so that way you can get right on over to Rudder's Block, and uh, that link is already programmed with our discount, uh, but you can also go to writersblock.com and just enter coupon code, enter coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER at checkout to save yourself 10% on your order. Finally, I want to thank my friends over at Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about 10 other incredible shows, uh, all of them pop culture related and all of them wonderful. Uh, check out the Multiverse Tonight or the uh, Two Dads Review, just for example, or the, of course the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast. Tons of great stuff over there, including articles and uh, celebrity interviews. Really good shows and information and good stuff happening at popcoastculture.net. So click that link in the show notes for more. As always, I invite you to follow along the show, follow along with the show on social media. Find us on the platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just very easy to find. It's the Sample Chapter Podcast on any of those. Uh, you can also contact the show through email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail by calling... 660-851-1146 and leave me a fun voicemail and you will hear that on an upcoming episode. All right, everyone. Well, without further ado, let's hop on over to our interview with this week's wonderful guest, Nevada McPherson.
Sample Chapter listeners, welcome back to another exciting episode. This week, uh, we are talking with Nevada McPherson, who lives in the southern Gothic town of Midgeville, Georgia, former site of the world's largest lunatic asylum, <laughs> which I think is pretty neat little tidbit on there. Uh, her first novel, Poser, just came out. It's the first of a series, and uh, we're going to be hearing all about that. But uh, Nevada is also a graduate of LSU's MFA program in screenwriting. She's written several award-winning screenplays, created three graphic novels to date, and penned countless to-do lists, something we're all familiar with. All right, ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Nevada McPherson. Well, thank you, Jason. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to have you here. Now, I am I am so interested by, uh, so you're in Georgia, you spent a long time in New Orleans, but yes. the, your, uh, your first book is talking about Silicon Valley. Yes. Now, how does that come about? Where did, where did that, or, you know, how do you go about writing on the other side of the country like that? Well, back in the like, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, my husband went out to, well, we both went out to Stanford, but he was teaching a speech, kind of like a, a speech and debate summer camp out there at oh. Stanford. And uh, I was there and I was helping students do research papers and things like that. And we had never been, I had, well, I'd really never been to California before, except for just, you know, very briefly kind of just going through a few places on a road trip one time, a long time ago with some family members, but we had never been, I'd never been to San Francisco before and I'd never been to Palo Alto. I really didn't know much about it at all or anything about Palo Alto really, but I just fell in love with the place. I just thought it was fascinating. I love the weather there. It just seemed to have kind of an exciting vibe uh, to me. It was just, there was something about it. And we went back there for several years uh, for the summers and I just really, I don't know, I was inspired by it. There were some of the places I would walk around every evening. I like to do evening walks. And um, I just really, you know, I enjoyed walking through some of the neighborhoods there. And I remember seeing this image one time when I was walking in one of the neighborhoods. Um, I was walking by some houses and I could see kind of in the backyard, you know, past some of the uh, shrubbery, there was somebody sitting at a table uh, under a patio umbrella and they had like a really nice cocktail sitting on the table in front of them uh -huh. and I thought that is such a, a neat image that was kind of an evocative image to me and I thought I might put that in a story someday and so it it, it does in, in a different little bit different way it does make it into poser um, but it took a, you know after a couple of summers I finally I had come up with a story and so I wrote it originally as a screenplay and then I decided to adapt it into a novel later. That is fascinating. I, I love that. I love talking to my, my guest authors on here and hearing how something like that can get into you just visiting someplace and how it gets into you. And I've, I've experienced that myself where you go someplace and like two years ago, for instance, my wife and I, we went down into the Southern Ozarks in Missouri oh, and yeah. we came across so many interesting sites that just, we kept thinking like going down this one lane and it had trees on either side and even in the middle of the day and it was midsummer, it was dark down this lane. And we thought, man, if it was nighttime, I mean, this would be pitch black down this lane. And my wife is talking about how creepy it is. And my mind is just going crazy with story ideas. And I'm thinking, oh yeah. And then the monster's coming out right over here and I'm plotting it out and <laughs> ready to go. And I just, I love how that, uh, 
seeing it, it it's different in an author's mind i think than uh, than somebody else it really is i mean it's like just just a little image or just a snippet of an image can just inspire you and kind of spark your imagination and i love that about visiting new places mm -hmm. yeah and you get to you go back there periodically still Yes, I've been through there a couple times. Um, I was there. I went to a writer's camp at um, Community of Writers. Um, we went out there, and it was it's at Squaw Valley um, near Lake Tahoe. And my husband stayed in Palo Alto while I went to the writer's camp. And then when I came back, uh, we spent some time around Palo Alto a few years ago. Um, but I want to go back as soon as I can. I just really love the downtown area, and I love you know kind of the area around the university. And of course, San Francisco, you know, I haven't been there in a while. So I really, really want to go back as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. The story idea that I had for mine in the Ozarks has kind of faltered since then. Oh, um, I've had, <laughs> well, it's, it's okay. I've had two other books have come out since then. But uh, yeah, it's, I think about it every once in a while. And I think maybe I should just go back there. I should just take my wife. We should go back down and visit again and try and get some more of that inspiration and see where it goes but yeah but that would be fun definitely too, should <laughs> <laughs> so now you you teach english and creative writing throughout yes. the day um what is that like for you as far as uh, i mean does it exhaust you uh, or is it energizing you to be teaching it all day and then coming home and doing your own work doing your own writing well, it can be exhausting sometimes, and sometimes it can be energizing because because um, you know, so, I learn a lot from the students. And in the creative writing class, like today, I thought, well, I'm kind of tired. You know, we might spend part of the class pitching and then maybe give them some time to work on some stuff. But we sent, we spent the whole class pretty much them pitching their ideas, and we would talk about them and you know, kind of what they wanted to do with some of their story ideas. And I can't, I was tired you know when walking in there and coming out I felt energized <laughs> and excited for them so that's always wonderful when that happens I love that yeah I I do too I do too that interaction and there's there's times when I used to prior to COVID uh, when I would go to my writing club I was just tired and I'm like ah oh, I'm just going through the motions tonight I'm going to go and sit down but I'm not going to share anything I'm just going to listen right <laughs> <laughs> but then when I get Sometimes home, you have like, that feeling. <laughs> yes, yes. And by the time I'm home, I'm like, oh, yes, I need to stay up late because I can't wait. I just had this idea. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great to get fired up like that. And I, I'm kind of a night owl. I do stay up late. You know, I, I might be tired earlier and then I'll kind of get a second wind and feel like I could stay up all night and I could still make it tomorrow. But then, you know, <laughs> You got to take a nap the next day. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask what, what your writing schedule is like, if you're like a morning person or evening, well, or if you pepper it in throughout the day. I tend to, well, I, like I said, I do like to stay up late at night. Sometimes I keep some crazy hours. Um, I, so, you know, it depends on if it's, if it's during the summer, uh, I, I keep a lot of late hours and I do during the school year sometimes too, but then I'll try to switch it up a little bit. I used to do a lot of early morning writing. Um, when I was in college, I would get up super early in the morning and try to be the first one at the coffee shop. I had just discovered the magic of cappuccino and I would try to get there and have my cappuccino and enjoy <laughs> my writing time uh, before you know going to work at the bookstore before class. But, uh, but lately it's more late night schedule oh. when it's quiet and you know. Mm -hmm. 
like that. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I um I will I will write kind of uh throughout the day. I'll pick it up and I'll read the last paragraph or so, and then I can I can get back into it and like oh yeah okay yeah this is where I was going with that, and then just kind of go from there. But yeah, that editing phase that's when I really hunker down. And I'm like yeah all right I'm burning the candle at both ends now and yeah staying up late. That's great. Well, sometimes you find yourself just in a loop of editing and you'll edit, edit, then you'll think, oh, it's okay. Then you'll let it cool off a little bit and then go back and think, I need to edit this some more. And it's like, you know, it seems like, well, is this ever, is this process ever going to end? But eventually it, it does for the most mm -hmm. part, you know. So, but yeah, I'm, that's great. It's, you keep at it throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, my wife has learned that uh, if I'm, texting away on my phone i'm not actually texting i'm probably writing or or something else if, unless if i don't have my laptop with me but yeah. <laughs> whatever if you carry a little notebook do it on your phone you exactly. know whatever whatever means you have to do it that's you know and especially when the, when the mood hits you and you're inspired that's one thing i feel like well if i'm staying up late and i think well I'm, i've got to get up in the morning i really shouldn't stay up late but then i think but i'm in a groove i'm in the flow i've got to keep <laughs> going while while i can you know oh my goodness yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's that too <laughs> Now, how, how often, whenever you are teaching, how often does that inspiration hit you and you're like, I got to go write this down? Or do you like stick it out and wait for the end of class to, to write it down? I might have to jot something down from time to time. I usually I feel I feel kind of weird if I don't have a notebook with me mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if, like you said, even if it's just jotting down a few words or something just to spark, you know, my memory later. I always have a little notebook and I fill up a lot of those and kind of put them in my bookshelf later. But I have little notebooks, those little journal books, whether it's an old, uh, what is it, spiral bound notebook or one of yeah. the kind, you know, the little leather bound or whatever. I try to have something with me at all times. And even in my purse, I carry, you know, those little pads of sticky notes. And you know, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel weird if i don't have something that i could write on at any time in case me too i me think too. of something yeah or if our... i think of a line of dialogue i'm like let me jot that down because that's just just what i wanted you know and I... it, you never know when that might hit you so you gotta have something to write on oh my gosh that's so funny i have a file in my phone of uh interesting names oh that's good yeah <laughs> just names that i come across i'm like oh i like that name yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put that in here for a future person i don't know who that would be but man that name would be really good for like a bad guy or something yes and now that you're saying that i'm thinking of a name i saw the other day and i thought that name or some variation on it would be great and now i'm trying to remember i think the first part of it was truman but it was a great last name and i can't think what it was now i realize i better start keeping up with some names because sometimes if i can't think of the right name for a character right at that moment um, I'll just leave it blank, you know, and I know oh, yeah. I'll know that I'll find the right name and I'll come back. Like I'm working uh, on a short story now and I've got, you know, I've, I'm going to have to name some people. I've got the names of the main characters, mm -hmm. but I'm going to have to have some other names. And so I'm like, well, <laughs> I'll have to come back and fill those in. I can identify with that. I have two different characters right now in a story I'm doing and it's blue haired guy and a uh, buzz cut. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, so as a teacher and a writer yourself, then 
what, in your opinion, makes good writing? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think something that, that flows well. And then I remember years ago, my very first creative writing professor talked about how when you're writing something, you're trying to take somebody through an experience. And so whatever best does that, I think if you can, you know, and then there's that thing, if you can make people feel, um, I think, you know, like just with my screenwriting training, if you can make people visualize, uh, you know, what it is, and even they, it'll take shape in their own imagination, but if you can make that, you know, make it easier in a way, you know, just for them to, to be able to follow and for the story to flow, and, you know, that kind of thing. I think that makes for good writing for, you know, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. For me. Yeah, I like that. I, I appreciate that, too. Yeah, it's it, when it's got a good flow to it, when it's mm -hmm. not being interrupted by something that takes you out. Exactly. Anything, I don't want things, you know, you don't want, to me, I don't want things that'll take take people out of the story. If they're into the story, I want them to stay into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there are times, I guess, where you can do something where it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. But as long as it, long as it fits with the right. story, and it's not gonna, you like you said, not, if it's not gonna make the reader jump out and be like, wait a minute, what? I, I, yes. <laughs> where they have to flip back and go, wait, now what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that? Was, did they talk about that. this before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want them to keep going forward. But you know, if there's something they want to go back and reread but I don't want him to feel like I have to, to know what's going on kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, did he always have blue hair? Wait a minute. Let me go exactly. back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well now how, how do you handle criticism uh, since you teach it as well? Do you get any criticism on your own work and how do you handle it? Well, I remember like, well, in writing workshops, uh, I remember once again, my first creative writing teacher used to talk about how, well, some things, you know, something that you're doing may or may not be somebody else's cup of tea, you know, <laughs> so you do have to keep that and take that into account. Um, and, you know, I've read what Stephen King says about some of that too, with, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I think, you know, you do have to, to accept, you know, there's some, there's things I, I could go back and make better. Um, mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I loved about my first uh, creative writing workshop is, I mean, people didn't by any means love everything I wrote at all, but I always left that workshop energized because uh, I felt like, oh, well, they gave me constructive feedback, you know, and some good insights to go back and work on it and make it better. And mm -hmm. so that's what, you know, if it's criticism, it's, you know, things can get into personal remarks and, and really negative. I've seen some workshops like that before too. Uh, but to me, if you can, you know, if somebody can give me some, some thought on, you know, well, how could I improve it? Or what is it that, that needs to be improved? That's the kind of thing I would look for, for good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. What and can I, I do I, to make it better? Exactly. Kind of yeah. And that's something I've learned about myself is I actually kind of, I don't mind feedback. I, I look at whether or not I find it to be valid, exactly. whether yeah. or not I agree with it. And even mm -hmm. if I don't agree with it, I'll still look and see where they're coming from with it. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, otherwise my, my wife gives me great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my wife gives me great feedback and, and she does not hold back. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness. She does not. hold back. <laughs> uh, oh man. They're, they're are, yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but it's good because it it makes me look back at my work 
and go, oh, okay, well, you know what? I see what you're saying here. And uh, yes. <clears throat> and I appreciate that with the editor I've been working with, um, Paige Johnson at uh, Outcast Press um, gives great feedback. And I really, really value and appreciate that. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Outcast, they've, they've actually, uh, they've been a part of a few of my uh, past guests on here. So they're, yeah, that's a great press. I'm glad that mm -hmm. you were able to find a home with them. Me too. <laughs> So now, uh, before we go back over to Poser, I wanted to talk a little bit. You also do a little bit of, uh, you've got a few graphic novels under your belt. Now, how did that come about? Well, that comes from, well, let's see. With screenwriting, um, I had, well, I wrote a short screenplay um, a few years ago. And I, I made that into my, well, it was a short film. And it was through directing the short film, I storyboarded it. And it was through storyboarding that, that I kind of thought, wow, this is like, you know, it would be interesting to do this with one of my feature screenplays that I've written. It's kind of like directing it on paper. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be really interesting. But, and see, I used to draw years and years ago. I used to draw a lot and I had kind of gotten out of that. And so when I first started trying to do that, and adapt one of my scripts. It was it was more or less like stick figures, and so I thought, "Ooh, this is harder than I thought." And it took it, it took a really long time to get back into the groove of drawing. I don't know if you've ever, like the early versions uh, of the Simpsons. You know how those are really really different from oh, yeah. the later version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I had to go through several like you know, versions of it to try to get it to where it it looked enough like you know you could the, the characters that I envisioned and things mm -hmm. like that but that's how I kind of got into it um and so uh that's how yeah you know, I feel like it my drawing had gotten a, a little better or maybe a lot better in the the last one I did but uh, I need to get back I need to kind of keep in practice with that because um you know it, it does take practice and I think too about and I know this happens with me uh I've, I've heard that, you know, Flannery O'Connor is from Milledgeville. Well, she's originally, originally from Savannah, but she lived in Milledgeville. And um, she, she said that she painted a lot in addition to her writing. And she started out doing comics. And mm. then she switched to writing. Uh, I believe while she was at uh, Iowa Writers Workshop, she had started out in the, I think they put her in the journalism program with her. Uh, her comics and then she decided well I don't know I think I'm going to switch to writing and the rest is history um, but she talked about how a lot of writers that she knew paint and she said uh, and some writers it's not because they're that good at painting but it's because it makes them look at things really look at things closer oh. and through through doing the graphic novels I can tell it made me look at things closer and you know looking at people closer and just you know the things that I was drawing the first graphic novel I did was set in New Orleans and so yeah I would draw a lot of the stuff I would see every day which I found New Orleans fascinating I never got tired of walking around there and just all the things that you would see and just even writing down magazine streets you see characters and sometimes my husband would say some of these folks look like characters in your graphic novel I'm like oh thank you <laughs> so they look like people you know <laughs> So that's how that came about. And that's, and that's fascinating about the, uh, the extra creative output and how it's making you look at things differently. And, uh, that that's very insightful. I hadn't even thought of that before. Wow. 
Well, thank you. I mean, I, I did, let's see, the first one was Uptowners, the first graphic novel I did. And, and then the second one was based on one of my screenplays set in, it was a gay teen romance set in the 1950s in the rural South, and it's called Piano Lessons. And so there's that one. And then um, the third one is kind of a, is a sequel to Uptowners, but it's called Queensgate, and it's set in London. And so I had some pictures I had taken a while back in London that I would kind of look at for inspiration for, uh, for some of the backgrounds and things like that. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And, you know, <laughs> to your point about The Simpsons, I a little bit about my age. I remember going to the movies and that's where this, you could see The Simpsons back in wow. the day when it was on before uh, before the movie would come on. You'd see a Simpsons short and like, oh, hey, these people again. This is fun. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> so, the old yeah. cartoons when they used to show cartoons before the movies. Before the movie. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So all of my younger listeners right now are rolling their eyes like, oh, man, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> it was. It was. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, all right. So your your first novel then that came out, uh, Poser. Yes. Now, what stands out to me is you have a uh, a failed drug dealer for your main character. <laughs> Where yes. does that come from? I don't. Know. Well, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes characters just come to me, and I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe I don't know. He's from Texas, you know, in the novel, but mm. he ends up, he kind of he runs away from home and ends up in San Francisco. And I'm trying to think back where he, you know, because I some of the characters I can think right away, oh, well, this is where this character came from. But I think some characters maybe just, I don't know, in the collective unconscious, maybe <laughs> somehow, but it's like maybe some characters just come to you. And, uh, and I'm trying to think back. That's a good question. Um, but I don't know, maybe just looking at, I know one thing I used to think about walking around, um, Stanford and Palo Alto and even San Francisco, and that there's a, a little bit of this around New Orleans. I used to think, wow, you know, you walk around here at night, some of these buildings are open. And, um, now there's probably not this way anymore, but we were staying in the dorm and it's almost like it was the summer. There was hard, you know, there weren't that many people around except, you know, a lot of the summer camps and some students. But um, it was like you could, you know, you could come downstairs in this basement and like, you know, come to this TV room and nobody would even know you're here, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, if somebody were trying to like if, if somebody, you know, just were like trying to to get around here, they could you know, in a way <laughs> up to a certain point um, and kind of just, you know, be here. And um I was talking the other day about there was a, a story when I was back in New Orleans, then I read a story in the newspaper about how somebody kind of did that, like pretended to be a student and people, other students there thought they were a student, but then they got found out that they weren't and they were living in the dorm and kind of participating in stuff, but they were just, it's because they just were there. You know, just wow. wanted to be there. And it was a news story. And I thought, well, wow, that's kind of like, you know, you know well it, it had a different name at the time arcadia and then i decided you know poser uh, and i decided to make it into a series i added a lot of material to it that i didn't have in the screenplay and i've added a lot of new characters um that i think have added 
uh, much to it, you know, to make it into a series. But but maybe that's kind of where the some of the ideas of uh, Ambrose came about, just kind of, you know, trying to get by, trying to make it somehow, having a really rough time, feeling like he's slipping through the cracks, mm. hanging on by his, you know, hanging on by his fingertips, you know, kind yeah, of thing, yeah. just trying to survive and not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, kind of yeah. The, the subconscious part of your mind just kind of brought him forward. Yeah, and then, I really think so. Just kind of a, a liminal character. Almost like uh, he he told you, Ambrose told you, hey, here's who I am. Yes. And I think he's come, he's come a, become a, a lot sharper into a lot sharper focus um, in the novel, you know, as opposed to just in the screenplay. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So now do you... Do you kind of write from the hip? Do you, are you a pantser or do you plan it out? Well, I used to be a pantser. Um, this one I did plan out. I worked on an outline and sometimes I would sit. I had a big sheet of like uh, those, uh, what are they called? Drawing pads. Mm -hmm. And I decided to make an outline. And sometimes I would just sit and stare at that outline for a <laughs> long time. And I would think, this shouldn't be this hard, but then I would just, you know, and I would kind of move stuff around and erase stuff and it got kind of messy. I had to redo it. Um, but I guess sometimes I can be a pantser, but on this, I was, I was, I did work for more of an outline. Um, That's interesting. I, and, and what, what I'm, what's interesting to me is how that stands out, how you, you plan the story out, you knew what it was going to be, but the character came to you uh, through yeah, your what's research. The character I guess once the character showed up, you know, then yeah. I tried to plan out his journey. And um, part two, I've pretty much um, got done. And but I have part three pretty much planned. And then I'll get visions, like I'll be out walking or something, and I'll get a vision of something, or I'll hear, hear a song, and I'll think, oh, that's the next <laughs> part of the whole yes. thing. Oh, my gosh. And I'll just get up. Uh, you know, I'll kind of get yes. distracted for a minute. Then I'll say, okay, let me keep my mind on what I'm doing, what I'm doing, but I got to remember that, you know. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and give us a little bit about uh, book one of, of your series or a poser. What, what is the story about? Well, like you said, I mean, he's kind of a failed drug dealer. Um, and he also works part-time at a S&M dungeon in, in San Francisco. And um, he has some bad breaks, like we were saying. I mean, he has a hard time. He loses his apartment. Um, he gets robbed. He runs afoul of, you know, kind of his, his drug dealer boss and all that and is kind of on the run. And then um, he has this friend and this girl that he has, kind of, well, he has a crush on her uh, who also works at the, um, the S&M dungeon. She's a receptionist there. And she suggests that he stay at her, uh, her older sister's house, at her guest house in uh, Palo Alto to kind of you know, regroup and figure out what he's gonna do next. And at first he says no, but then some other stuff happens. I mean, he, some other misfortunes <laughs> and he really doesn't know what to do so he decides to take her take her up on it take his friend up on uh, going to stay at the sister's guest house and it's not until they get to the get or they get to the sister's house like they're in the driveway um that his friend uh, benny tells him uh that she has told her sister that he's a grad student at stanford uh because she says well that way she'll be more likely uh to let you stay here 
and you know like you're not just you're not gonna be partying you know in undergrad but you're kind of you know you really are looking for a place that's what I told her and he's just floored by this and flipped out by it uh, at the prospect of having to pretend to be you know to be somebody he's not you know he's already in kind of a fragile state and that just makes it way more uh, stressful but he really at the moment he really doesn't have anywhere else to turn and so he decides to to try to walk this tightrope that she's kind of created for which he was already felt like it but this even is more uh but it's you know between identities which um leads to other complications and I guess one of the biggest complications it leads to is that um he starts to fall for the older sister uh Jessica uh who's married and uh that just uh, leads to to other trouble as you can well imagine oh my goodness yes <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what gets us into it and um and it goes on from there yes yes and this is book one of the series now and it's got an interesting uh name it's it's the eucalyptus lane series or yeah the the eucalyptus lane novels okay Uh, one of the things i noticed out there i just fascinated which I, i love eucalyptus i used to see bundles of eucalyptus at um places like oh i guess i don't know Pier, pier one remember pier one and <laughs> yeah, yeah. world market or you know just places sometimes i guess uh florists you know have those and they smell so nice but i used to see just trees full of eucalyptus out there so i thought you know i would put that into it i like it i like that and yes i remember pier one yep <laughs> i've been doing yes. a lot of 80s shopping mall research lately in the last year or so so yep. oh, oh yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> it's a staple <laughs> Oh my goodness. Do you have a, do you have an idea of how many books you might do in this series or are you just kind of feeling it out as you go? Well, I know there'll be three, there'll be at least three and there may be a fourth uh, and beyond that. I don't know, but I, I know at least three, Fantastic. possibly four. I've started having visions of a fourth, but it, it hasn't all come together yet. So, but three, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Great. <laughs> Well, where can people find and follow you so that they can, uh, will know where to, where to get the next one? You can find me on Twitter. I'm trying to think, I think it's at, at Nevada McPherson three. Um, and then at my website, www.nevada-mcpherson.com. That's my website. Uh, and that has order links. And that also has my other social media, my Instagram at Nevada rights. Um, so those are the best places to find me outstanding yeah and of course everyone i'm going to have links for that in the show notes so you don't have to go searching you just click right there in the bottom and you'll hop right over to her social media to her website and even a link for the amazon site so we can go in there and you know a lot of people don't realize too if you just follow the author click on the author page which you have you claimed your author page i'm so proud of you that's fantastic (laughs) it's amazing how many authors don't claim their amazon author page Oh, wow. uh, but yeah, you, you claim your author page. And so if everybody goes in there and you click on follow, then automatically Amazon's going to let you know when the next book is available. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I have, I have been so delighted in talking to you and just so well, many times the here. light bulb has just gone off like, oh yes, I agree with you. And <laughs> this, is, this has been so much fun. <laughs> been i've enjoyed hearing your stories too about the the dark lane i hope you get back there one day and get to, get to write your story about that place you got me you got me intrigued 
I've got just like I, I'm sure, just like you, I've got a drawer full of half-written ideas that I'm like, ah, oh, well, I'll get back to this. Let me, yes, let me work on the one that's sitting, not done. They're just sitting there; they're waiting for you to come back. Exactly, they're just <laughs> waiting, waiting for their time. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you again, Nevada. Ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my writer's block coffee and hand the floor over to my wonderful guest, Nevada McPherson with Poser. Well, thank you. Well, I'm going to share a little bit from the beginning of Poser. And we were talking about, um, you know, kind of how Ambrose, I guess, a little bit how he started to get in the situation he was in that led to him uh, going to the guest house in Palo Alto. Uh, But this is from chapter one. Ambrose stares through the dull windshield at the dark, hulking ruins of an abandoned warehouse, never having been to this remote part of San Francisco before. A bad feeling rises in his throat. I don't think he's coming, he says. He'll be here. Quiet construction sites glow in the distance beyond the lonely streets. Juan, at the wheel, smokes a cigarette, watching the rings billow out the window, nodding like he's listening to some tune only he can hear. In the rearview mirror, a pair of headlights turns a corner and pulls toward them. That's him, Juan tosses the cigarette and opens the door. Got your piece, right? Ambrose feels a skittering in the pit of his stomach. It's still in Hawk. I thought you knew this guy. Just wouldn't want him getting any ideas. The other vehicle, a wreck of a gold Dodge Durango, eases to a stop. Ambrose steps out of the car, trailing Juan as he crosses the street. The driver of the Dodge steps out with a creek. Juan stops short as if expecting someone very different. It's a skinny woman, mushroom white, with bleach blonde hair, shorts, and a halter top, despite the brisk weather. Something about her reminds Ambrose of his mom. You Juan, she asks. Who's asking? Manny's homesick, she says. I got your goods in the trunk, but first you got to show me the cash. Juan smiles, holding up a roll of bills. Let's see what you got, sister. Even in the low light, Ambrose sees the woman's face harden. Juan follows her to the back of the Dodge. She opens the hatch and Juan peers in, saying, something don't look right. What are you talking about, the chick says. How do I know it's genuine? It's got Manny's stamp on it, see? She hands Juan a package as Ambrose rounds the back of the vehicle, shoulders tensing at the realization this is already not going well. Anybody can rubber stamp a fucking package, Juan says, slightly squeezing it, weighing it in his hand. Get Manfred's sick ass on the phone and let's have some verification. Better yet, maybe I'll open up one of these and check it out. You don't need to open it, she says. Juan turns to Ambrose. Got a pocket knife? Ambrose reaches into his pocket, scanning the area, unable to shake the feeling that they're being watched. As he grasps it, a figure in black pops up in the back seat and jumps out the opposite side. Look out, Ambrose blurts as the guy lunges. Juan tosses the package at Ambrose, nearly hitting his face. The pale, skinny guy from the car tackles Juan. The pale woman grabs his pistol, fumbling as she gets her hands around it. You throw that roll of dough in the back, she tells the man, her voice higher than before. Juan busts free from the apparent meth head as the whoop of a siren sounds, shattering all their nerves. The skinny woman turns to look and Juan snatches the pistol from her. Run, he tells Ambrose. All scatter as a police car comes hurtling from the shadows. Another siren blasts as Ambrose races away, clutching the package to his chest. 
The sound of an unseen motorcycle rips through the air as frantic images flash in his brain of a long ago evening watching Magnum Force with his drunk ass daddy back in Riviera, Texas. He reaches the edge of the pier. The moto cop speeds towards him and past the squad car paused at the drooping caution tape around an abandoned excavation. Moto cop guns the engine. Ambrose steps over the guardrail. Officer Randall Burke skids to a stop, scrambles off his unit, then runs to look over the edge where only black water swishes and laps. He turns, heart racing from the chase and the Adderall he snorted just before duty. He unwraps a stick of gum and pops it in his mouth, surveying the area for something he missed. That bastard's here somewhere, he thinks. Vermin don't just disappear into thin air. Below, Ambrose dangles by one hand, package tucked under his other arm, stamina draining by the second. He looks up, dizzy, and then down again, which is worse. Above, all's gone quiet or maybe just muffled by the sloshing waves. He shifts the package, biting the corner of the plastic wrap so he can hold the pier with both hands. The package slips and he watches helplessly as it falls, disappearing into the darkness below. He can't even hear its tiny, insignificant splash. His body goes limp as he considers what it would be like to do the same, but he realizes now, facing the prospect, he was never a very good swimmer. Seconds tick by that seem like minutes. Using all his strength, he swings one leg up onto the ledge to start the tricky climb back over. He barely makes it, having hung on so long, arms sore, fingers raw, but as soon as he's back on top, he sees Motocop gazing at him, smiling. What happened to that thing you were carrying? Ambrose manages to stand up straight, catching his breath. What thing? Guess we could try to fish it out, but my colleagues already discovered your connection over there just had a trunk full of flour mixed with laundry detergent. Is that what you were trying to score? Ambrose maintains a blank face. I wasn't here to score anything, officer. The cop still smiles. Unusual for a cop smiling like that. He's chewing gum. Right. Well, we're hauling in your boy over there on a weapons charge and they're searching that Dodge. So just for fun, turn around and put your hands on the rail. Sighing, Ambrose turns, hands on the rail. Oh, and spread them, Motocop adds. Nothing else to do but comply. No weapons here. The cop grabs him and Ambrose sees that he's lost his smirk. Consider yourself lucky tonight. He takes a step closer, speaking quietly, menacingly. Goddamn lucky. And if I catch you trying to pull any shit again, you'd better make it worth my while. His breath smells minty, but there's something smoldering in his eyes. Now get the fuck out of here, gutter punk. He gives him a shove. As Ambrose starts walking away from the cop in the edge of the pier, he sees the squad car leaving with Juan in the back. Another squad car arrives, blue lights silently flashing. Motocop strides toward his unit and another cop questions the skinny chick with the fake cargo. Her trembling sidekick sits on the curb, hunched over. Ambrose walks, heart pounding, hands buried in his jacket as each step puts more distance between him and that messed up scene. A deep sense of relief propels him faster and the phrase his grandma used to say echoes in his brain. God watches over children and fools. He turns the corner where city lights rise in the distance a dense and complex constellation. Hey, hey, that was Nevada McPherson reading a sample chapter from her debut novel, 
Composer. It is book one of the Eucalyptus Ling novels uh, from Outcast Press. It came out just this past February, and uh, it is a fantastic story. Really an exciting story, and one that I'm going to have to add to my to-be-read file. Click the link in the show notes for this book and more from Nevada. And don't forget to uh, find and follow her on all of the links I have below. I want to invite you to also check out our podcast friends, affiliate links, and sponsor down there in the show notes as well. And make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next time when I'm back with an all-new author, a brand-new book, and an all-new sample chapter.